Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside in the suburbs of New York City. Apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? Oh, I'm feeling good, Andrew. It's good to be with you. Lovely, bright day. And we've got a huge podcast. that You, you, you raised me up. Andrew, I'm not going to sing the song, but but doing this podcast, uh, I'm just so excited about it. Even even on this most mundane of a Tuesday. Yeah, I'm excited about it too. You know why? Why is that? I encourage everyone right now, hit your fast forward button straight through the beginning, the dreck of the, the beginning portion of the podcast, Whoa. because this is the MLS preview, JJ. Oh. All right. It's going to be in the latter half of the podcast. Right. Positioned strategically. <laughs> You, it's it's why I'm telling you all to fast forward. It's the latter half of the podcast. Uh, today will be your MLS preview. I am excited about it. I've dug in. I've done tons of research, watched a lot of videos, refreshed myself with what's happening with player movement, with managerial movement. I am truly and genuinely excited. The CONCACAF Champions League has been a nice sort of gateway back into the and season. And bouche if you will. Okay, I will. And now I'm ready for for the actual season to begin. And so the, the second half of this podcast will be uh, we'll we'll, t- we'll give our preview, and then uh, Jeff Carlisle will join us to uh, to give his as well. One of my favorite um, NFL film things is uh, about Bill Belichick's time at the Cleveland Browns, and there is this moment where it shows his commitment to his craft. He's wearing this kind of silver sweatsuit. And he's working out on an elliptical machine in like the dungeons of the old stadium in Cleveland while he's watching tape. And that's how I imagine you were preparing for this podcast. Yeah. Right down to the outfit. Yeah. You're, he's slightly more paunchy than you. You are. You're not paunchy at all. You're just weirdly configured mm-hmm. as a man. Yeah. Weird body syndrome. Uh, but anyway, let's uh, we've got a lot to get to before we get to the MLS preview. JJ, there was, of course, uh, lots of EPL action over the weekend. Uh, and then really with what I wanted to start with today, El Clasico was over the weekend. It in was. A, in an absolute deluge, which is an amazing word in itself, <laughs> uh, but an incredible rainstorm at the Alfredo de Stefano. I guess it's one of my only regrets about this Clasico because it's it's a chance, of course, that it, it was Messi's last. Um, and there is that chance, yes. And, and something about that... I hate rehashing this conversation, but there's these events that we've talked about JJ along the way throughout the course of this pandemic that leave me kind of hollow at the idea of, of there not being fans to witness it. And the possibility of that being Messi's final Classico um, with no fans and not only no fans, but not even in the Bernabeu or the yeah. Camp Nou, but in the Alfredo de Stefano, the, the Real Madrid training ground. Look, the game was very entertaining. Yes. Uh, I think even like the weather adds, you know how like in any given Sunday when they want to really ramp up the drama of certain games, suddenly it's just pouring <laughs> yeah. and it works. Like, you know, I think that helped a little bit in the second half with the drama. It was exciting, uh, but God, no fans there. Just, it was one of those games where that hurt. Yeah, the Alfredo Di Stefano uh, training ground is the airport hotel of soccer stadia. It 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 really is. It's no place for for these these titans of the game to be duking it out. It reminds oh. me of um, Gibraltar. Mr. Zidane, welcome to welcome to this Marriott courtyard. Your room is right over here. <laughs> 
Um, will I be able to get uh, room service? No, sir. But there are wraps available um, in your we will mini. We'll have a uh, complimentary continental breakfast. Here are some really hard honeydew. <laughs> yeah, it, it, the backdrop, it reminds me Gibraltar played beside an airport, yeah. uh, the international team. It just reminds me of that. I expect a plane to come in. It's as if the football match is inconsequential as to what it, you know what else is happening around it. It's um, yeah, it's not the backdrop, but like you said, it was a good game. Um, it was an enjoyable game. Uh, Barcelona obviously losing it because now that's become the thing that happens where once they were dominant in this fixture or relatively dominant, yeah, dominant. That's fair to say. The um, the tables have now been turned, and Zidane is the tactical mastermind on the bench. Um, yeah, who, who knew, right? I mean, we, we all were under this assumption that, oh, Zidane, he's a great man-manager, but can he do the other things? Well, I think well, he's showing that he can. Yeah. If he hadn't, I, by the way, if he hadn't shown that already, I mean, he's, he's kind of won a lot. I don't think that happens by accident. I was reading Graham Hunter's match report and on ESPN FC. Everyone should read it. It's so detailed and so good. And prior to the game, the, the news escaped. Can news escape? Can news get into the wild? No, I read the same thing, and it's what you're about to say is very interesting. Yes, that Griezmann would not play. And so Zidane uh, decided to overload that um, that left-hand side of the Barcelona defense, go at Pedri, who left Jordi Alba slightly, well, not slightly, quite exposed. And then, um, and that's how the first goal came about, with Valverde carrying the ball forward. So tactically, you have to say Zidane... Got it right. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose you, you would have to say that. Um, you, you would also have to say that the Graham's description of the second goal, which was obviously the crucial goal coming on 27 minutes, the free kick, was about as good a description as I've ever had. And if you'd allow me just a few minutes, not even that. Um, so, so it was a Tony Cross free kick, which was deflected into the net. Uh, Graham writes, if this had been a roadrunner and Wiley Coyote cartoon, there would have been a big Acme sign pointing to where the danger lay, saying, shoot here. The arrow would have been pointed to the huge gap between 21-year-old Oscar Mingueza playing his first Classico and 20-year-old Serginho Dest playing his second. I swear, looking at Cruz's face, he had a little cackle of joy when he realized this wasn't a practical joke. The German struck it viciously, and to compound the jaw-dropping amount of space he'd been offered, Des turned his back, a capital sin, and the ball deflected in off the young Yusmanti player. I mean, that's that's pretty much what happened. Yeah, well said. Yeah. One day, JJ, uh, over over the history of this podcast, I've I've launched many horrible takes. Oh yeah, some I- some of the worst takes that the world has ever been exposed to have come from me on this podcast. And one of them, uh, one of them is that I, I oftentimes wonder about the idea of the capital sin that you just referenced, the player who turns his back. You've defended Um, this stoutly for years. So when I've attacked it, here's the deal. I have been forced to accept the fact that I'm horribly wrong in, in my thoughts on this, um, that, but however, I would like to commission a study. Oh, he's commissioning <laughs> studies now. I would like to commission a study. Um, if anybody, if any of our wonderful listeners would like to step up who is of like mind, 
I accept that I'm wrong, that there's too many people who I respect too much, notwithstanding you, you are the least of them, but there's too many other people <laughs> whose opinions I respect too much who, who go on and on about how it's the worst thing that you can do in this sport is turn your back when a ball is being kicked towards you. Um, so I, I have no choice but to accept it. But I, there's still a part of me that wants to find out if there is actual truth to players who do that versus players who don't and what the percentage is of balls that still wind up on target. Yeah, I mean, I, I, and I, I look, to be serious. Because I've seen second. too many guys who don't that have a ball deflect off the inside of their leg and it's scored for an own goal. And I've seen players who do turn their back and the ball bounces right off of them and, and, move, and deflects harmlessly away. So I, I need to know. I'm a stats man at heart, JJ, and I need to know if there are numbers to actually back up this quote-unquote number one capital sin. I mean, in fairness to you, you have accepted the L on this one in a yeah. kind of measured fashion. But well, I uh, haven't. I haven't. I've accepted it, but I'm still conducting studies behind the scenes. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's been a tough weekend for you as well since the last podcast because you took all the L's on the pod titles issue just to go off. Uh, yeah. I, actually, I'm glad you brought that up, not to go on, on too oh much of a Oh, my God. Tangent. It's been overwhelming. I, it has. And what I wanted to say to all those people is that many, most of these titles that you see are my creations. So it's not that I'm, it's not that I'm against it. I was just sympathizing with one listener who, who was against it, quite frankly. And I'm, I was wondering if there were more people out there and if there were, then we would have to change it. I don't care. It's fine. Fine. We'll keep it. It doesn't matter. But if there were a lot of people who felt that way, then I think we, we would have had to listen. It's yeah. something I've always considered. The, the things that have garnered the greatest interest in terms of the response lately in the mailbag have been me, me suggesting I know where the greatest pint of Guinness can be found in Brooklyn. The yeah, amount but of... But your refusal to say so was, no, I, was unsettling. I, I DM'd everyone who asked and I told them back. I, I made sure I let them know. But also uh, you taking the L on pod titles. Can we talk about the, the top of uh, La Liga right now, Andrew? Um, well, first, I, I do want to talk on. a little bit more about this game just okay, because sure. I, there were other elements to it that were interesting to me. First off, Ronald Koeman, who had been flying high, we talked about him uh, last week, how he's completely kind of turned around this perception of him from where things were in the beginning of the season with Barcelona. He spoke after the game, and I think he kind of got right to like the heart of it. He said, we need to be better when making key decisions. Mm -hmm. They're decisions that can cost us the game, and in the end, they did. And he's, I mean, look, we talked about the goals, but look at it. I know you mentioned in Graham's report, he put a lot on Pedri on the first uh, goal for Real Madrid. But I mean, Jordi Alba. What's he doing? I mean, Pedri's a young player. He's an attacker. Like, it's not quite as much at least to me watching it back, like Jordi Alba is the one where I'm like, boy, that, that gamble just created all the space in the world for Correct. Valverde to run into. I mean, did, did you have to do it? I guess I, I respect the aggressiveness a little bit. Cause if he intercepts that ball, then we're going right back the other way. And it could be uh, Real Madrid no, under the gun, but boy, that was just such an, it felt like such an unnecessary risk. Yeah. You can't, you can't sacrifice the entire team shape unless you're a hundred percent sure you're going, you have to get the ball the minute you do that. I think the criticism of Pedri was that he was charged or not charged, but what was going to be important in the way they set up was that he did not allow huge amount of space on front of Jordi Alba at any moment. And he was marked absent in that regard for that goal. Um, but it, you know, give credit to Zidane too for for having the tactical nous to go down that side, and also give credit to Benzema, who's in rare form with a brilliant finish. That's the other thing I wanted to mention. Benzema, uh, ten goals in his last eight games. He had been in a dry spell in Clasico specifically, but overall, he's he's been very good lately. 
JJ, he's one of these players who like, we, we oftentimes will talk on this podcast about Sergio Aguero being underrated and sometimes underappreciated as, as a striker in European football. I mean, what about Benzema? Yeah. Whenever we make our lists, you, you know, even now we talk about Holland and, and obviously Lewandowski and Kane, but like Benzema is a name that for whatever reason, I feel like we don't give enough credence to. And, and he's been doing this for years for them through all their successes. Yeah. Of course, Ronaldo was at the heart of it, but Benzema was always right there with him. Yeah, I, th I think the BBC, Benzema, Bale, and Cristiano, um, the problem was he was in the shadow of Ronaldo there. Mm -hmm. um, there's also the fact that he's in the shadow of his off-field mistakes. We've seen France go to a World Cup and win it without a goal-scoring centre-forward with Olivier Giroud playing. And you, you wonder what that team would have been like with Benzema in it. And could he have fitted in? I think he could. But um, he's been exiled from the French national team and exiled from our thoughts in that way. Um, there is a correlation between players and, you know, international players and club players. You kind of almost need to have that, that twin thing going on in your career if you're going to be fully recognized. And um, those are the factors. It's, it's unfortunate for Benzema. Um, but I think now it's very hard to ignore his form and maybe he's getting his dues right now. Yeah. Um, I suppose he is. He, he's been, he's been huge for them of late. And then, um, with regards to the Barcelona side of things, it was uh, it was kind of an unusually quiet night for Messi. I, I guess I say that because he, he didn't necessarily produce, produce the results, although he did have seven shots without scoring a goal. That's tied uh, for the most shots he's had in a Clasico without scoring. Yeah, and I think, I think it's worth noting, had Courtois not closed him down and made that save right on half time, it's a different game. 2-1 is, is a lot different to what it was at halftime 2-0 also, his uh, Olympico attempt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, can you imagine the, the noise generated from Ray Hudson had that gone in? Oh, uh, he would, the concierge at the uh, Marriott Alfredo de Stefano Hotel would have gone, Mr. Hudson, please, we have other guests. Quiet. Uh, yeah, Phil, so Phil is trying to sleep in the room next door, Mr. Hudson. <laughs> There's no mint being left on my pillow. Room service? Um, yeah. But I, I want to talk about the top of the table because then Madrid got what was described as a good point at Real Betis. Now, I'm not saying that it wasn't a good point or that it won't turn out to be a good point. But when they when they took the lead, you know, Yannick Carrasco's goal after five minutes, I thought, OK, hang on. No, this this is really where where the champions proved their mettle. But um, I suppose 1-1 one, one isn't a bad result. It keeps them above um, the chasing pack by, by just one point, though. Everyone's played equal amount of games. 67 points at uh, Atleti, Real Madrid on 66, Barcelona on 65, and not... It's wide open. Away. It's yeah, wide not open. not very far away, but uh, Sevilla, I suppose well, in the context of this race, miles away. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so tight. And then a real drop to 47 points for Real Sociedad. So there we are. I, I still think, I think Madrid may have, may have blown it um, Andrew, I do feel that way, especially now. Like, you've got Barcelona, we're in a bit of form, but now we've got Real Madrid ticking along nicely. Yeah, hm. I mean, what is your gut? My gut tells as to me that who, who is like, if my, you had to assign a driver's seat to this situation, I, I, I said Barcelona last week, and the reason I'm going to stick with them is that Real Madrid probably after this week's of this week of Champions League involvement will be into the next the next round of the Champions League 
uh, and therefore will have, you know, one eye on that as well, which may be a distraction to them. Um, but I don't think it's going to be Atletico Madrid. I think it's going to be Real Madrid or Barcelona, one or the other. And I, I'm, I, I'll still stick with Barca. Who would have ever thought that a few months ago? Listen to this stat. After earning 24 points out of 24 in La Liga between December of 2020 and January of 2021, Atletico Madrid has only taken 17 of their last 33 available. Yeah. That's, they've that's, hit some kind of wall. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. They don't strike me as a team that thought it was over and then kind of took their foot off the gas. I, I don't know. Maybe in the end, Simeone will reference that to being some kind of issue, but I, I don't feel like they have the, the type of leadership in him or players, you know, who some guys who, have, you know, Suarez players who've been around for a while. I, I don't know. I just, maybe it was fatigue. Maybe the numbers caught up with them. I, I yeah. don't know. Maybe it was what happened then being so easily brushed aside by Chelsea in the Champions League, although they were already kind of stuttering before that game. Yeah. It's also maybe it's the way they play as well, Andrew, which is slightly more inhibited than the other two, as we know. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, there we are. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, uh, there you go. It was a fun Classico for sure. The last one of the season. Almost, I mean, the ending, we didn't even mention uh Mariba hitting the, the crossbar with the final touch of the ball, basically smashed it off the bar. Mm. Um, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that game quite a bit and uh, it has surely set up a fascinating race to end the La Liga season. No question about it. Uh, let's see. Let's move on to the premier league, JJ. Some of the big games we'll get to quickly over the weekend. And then of course the MLS preview after that, um, I guess we'll start with the game that started the weekend. That was Leeds stunning Manchester City, despite playing the second half with a man down uh, and despite being outshot 29 to two. Yes. Scoring on both of their two attempts. Yes. Incredible. It's a superb performance um, to have the lead at City, lose it late and just keep going was immense. Um, Dallas's winner was absolutely stunning. Like, where did he get his energy to make that run from? And also worth noting that just a few minutes prior to that, Rafinha forced a really good smart save from Ederson when he was bearing down uh, in on the goal. Leeds were Leeds were fantastic. They, I know City had all the ball. I know City had so many shots, but Leeds were Leeds's energy and their commitment and their ability to find gaps in behind Manchester City and create chances that way was was quite interesting. I mean, there weren't many. It was kind of few and far between. No, yeah, but if you if you watch it, Andrew, there was enough times where that old failing that we talked about, City, that maybe we've forgotten about, or or, or we certainly hadn't been eradicated. But with the reemergence of of Stones, who partnered at Nathan Aki uh, this time as opposed to uh, Diaz, we talked about balls in the channels between the fullback in the gap vacated by the fullbacks, balls in behind quite simple passes. Um, there was a lot of those. And City got caught out quite a few times. And so I'm wondering, because again, like this game was on Saturday. So you kind of, your mind is fast forwarding to, to the second leg of the Champions League game between City and Dortmund. And I'm wondering if there is a danger that the Pep brain goes into overthink on this, that he internalizes so much of what he's seen and he does what he's done before in Champions League games overthinks it and moves just too many degrees away from the formula because he can't do it again after what happened with Leon last year. He, he's just lost at home to Leeds to Bielsa to a guy he respects hugely. Uh, 
Yeah, and it's finally it's it is not done, and you know it's not it's it's far from. Manchester City fans really wanted it to be over from the first leg, and it's just not over. No. So I'm just curious if this if this triggers that little thing in Pep's brain where he wakes up in the middle of the night. I've got it. He runs downstairs and he starts doing all these calculations on his whiteboard. And his wife, Pep, what are you doing? Come back to bed. No, 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 no. I've I've got it. I've got the formula for the second leg. And out they go. <laughs> he he can be an overthinker. Uh, yeah. This was almost without precedent, uh, this defeat for Manchester City. It was uh, Man City losing to a promoted side in the Premier League at home for the first time since 2007, uh, ending a run of 41 games unbeaten in such games. Do you know who that team was, JJ? This is an amazing trivia question. So the, it, it, it's the 07 08 season. No, no, 06 07. 06 07. The last time a promoted side went into. Uh, the Etihad, although then I guess it was just the city of Manchester Stadium and beat them. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess 06, 07. I think I could be wrong. I'd have to go back and double check, but I think there was an American on this team. Oh, an American on the team. I mean, it's not Fulham. No. Good guess. Uh, although Fulham were not newly promoted. No. Okay. That's a so actually a horrible guess. One of your worst. Wasn't Sheffield United... No, it was Reading. I believe Ooh, I, I, I have to check. I think Bobby Conby might have been on that Reading team. Oh, that was a Reading team that pulled up a lot of trees in its first season, finished in the top half. Kevin Doyle, Shane Long. Wow, Shane Long is still playing. Holy hmm. moly. He yeah. was but a boy then. Uh, and um, yeah, that was a good Reading side. Was it McDermott? Man- no, it wasn't McDermott. It was, um, it was the other former Manchester United manager who's name escapes or Manchester United player whose name escapes me. That was a good Reading team though. We'll sit here and wait for you to think. Uh, don't make me th- I know I can see his face. I actually met his son at a college football game in, in, in Pittsburgh as well. Very, very strange. You know what? They were actually, I just looked it up. Bobby Convey was on that team and there was actually another American too. Their goalkeeper was Marcus Hanneman. Forgot about him. That's right. Who ended yeah. up at Wolves. Uh, yeah. But at any rate, we've gone off on a tangent there. Uh, let's move on. JJ Manchester United. They mount another second half comeback as Spurs blow yet another lead. It was kind of just the ultimate game for how each of these two teams' seasons have gone. You sent me a bit of audio that you wanted to play. Yeah, can you, can you play that? Please? This is Hyungman's son. Uh, talking to Spurs TV and um, sounding, well, have a listen. Sonny, I've known you for six years and done lots of interviews with you, and I don't think I've ever seen you solo. Yeah, it's, it's really sad afternoon because uh, I really don't know what to say. So, yeah, I know it sounds really crazy or sounds really it's unnormal so that I'm really done. But uh, football is all about the results. And uh, if you win, I'm really happy. If you lose, I'm really done for two, three days. So, yeah, what can I say? Yeah. We have to bounce back and strong on the next Friday. Thanks for your time, Sonny. Thank you very much. I mean, the whole of that interview was, he was on the edge of tears at times. As a Tottenham supporter, do you think that was a bit much? I mean, it's a 3-1 no. defeat. No. 3-1 three, three, defeat at home to, a, to the second place team, to a, you know, a, good, a good side. All of that is true. You're right. In a vacuum, 
there's not necessarily shame in, in losing that game. Manchester United are good. Um, no, that's you're right. Like I understand everything you say that you're saying, but this is not happening in a vacuum. Um, I think the nature of Tottenham's defeats and draws to that extent, um, I think they, they play a large role in this because that is now 18 dropped points from winning positions this season. And, you know, we talk all the time, not all wins are created equal. Not all losses are created equal. Um, I think that is the case here with Tottenham and, and with how this season has gone. I think repeatedly losing games and losing points uh, that you were winning, you know, games that felt like you, you had them or, you, you know, you had a chance at taking all three points and what, what Tottenham season would look like had at least even just a few of those gone differently. I think that builds up over time in a player's head and in a fan base's head. And I mean, I don't think it's a coincidence that, uh, and I, I will speak for Tottenham, all Tottenham fans right now. When I say this, honestly, every single one of them, this is as low as I have been supporting this team in years i thought the years. last i thought the last loss in zagreb broke you it did because that was right on the heels of uh blowing a lead to arsenal hmm. then okay well we st- you know still got europa league let's just see it out and then blowing that game that yeah and i think um continuing then even in the aftermath of that continuing to blow leads in yeah. games i think it has a grating effect on morale and the fans feel it and I certainly, if the fans are feeling it, I got to believe. And quite frankly, I hope that the players are feeling it yeah. tenfold because they're the ones who are out there. Uh, and I think son, I think you saw that after the game in that interview, I think I, they are, they are defeated right now in the way that I think the fan base is. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose for me, it's, it's, you know, it's the usual, you know, you know what my thoughts are on mm-hmm. it really, because um, okay, Spurs take the lead. Although United really took the lead and the goal was ruled out for nonsense. Like absolute nonsense. Like, like total nonsense. Because that was a really good goal. Uh, Pogba, uh, Pogba's pass uh, into Cavani. Cavani's finish. And we rewind it back because, you know, two players are tussling for the ball in the most natural manner possible. And one of them gets a slight finger to the face, which is just a result of the tussle. I mean, it was, it was just the absolute overbearing, the overbearingness of VAR. Um, but okay, we'll wipe that goal out. Um, Jack Pitbrook wrote something interesting, and I feel the same way. That was such a good Spurs goal to go 1-0 up. Yeah. Jack wrote, it was one of those Spurs goals, and there have been quite a few of them this season, that make you wonder what these players might have achieved if they had been trusted with more of the ball and in better positions, rather than just attacking on rare occasions as a forbidden treat. It's so true. It's like surely the positive manager, the forward thinking manager sees the way they sliced United open with that move and thought, let's do more of that. Let's let's do more of that. But instead, we saw the retreat, the falling back. We saw Cavani's goal in the second half, which I thought was a brilliant goal from him. And I think United should do their best to try and keep him for another season. Don't let him end up at Boca Juniors. But look at the defending on that. Look at Aurier. Look at Dyer. Look at how they lose him. Like both, both players at an. I thought it started with Regalon too, who allowed that pass to be made. And he was dribbled right past. He, I thought, for a player who's had a good season, I thought he was terrible. Right over the weekend. 
So, but, but even still, like, you know, there was, there was two opportunities to pick Cavani up in the, at the end of that move and, and neither of the players did that. And so if it's not working defensively, if, it, if, if it's your genuine belief that you can't defend deep, why are you putting yourself, why are you making this, you know, almost company policy? Score and then try and hang on if you don't have the defenders to try and hang on. Yeah. Um, well, no, they don't. And they don't have the defenders to do that. And that's, I think that's been part of the problem. A couple of things. First off, what you said, I thought this game was maybe a little bit different for Tottenham. I mean, possession was just about 50 50. Each team had 12 shots. Um, so it wasn't quite one of those, you know, 70 30 possession games where Tottenham aren't even trying to do anything. I, I didn't necessarily think that was entirely the case in this one. Uh, but in terms of their defending and the players that they have, yeah, I think. Yeah, I heard a stat. I think this was the 16th different combination that Mourinho has used this season for his back four. Yeah. At a certain, like, okay, we get it. You don't, like, message received. You don't trust this group of players back there. And, and I'm not saying he's, he's, I believe he's warranted in feeling that way. But at a certain point, you have to go with, with he doesn't know his starting 11. And, and here we are in April. Yeah, yeah. At a certain point, you have to pick a back four. You have to at least give these guys a chance to make mistakes and then play their way out of them and learn from them. And, and the refusal to do that, there's just no chemistry at center back. You know, this week it, it's Eric Dyer who's been now brought back into the fold after he had a terrible game against Zagreb. I don't think he had played a minute since then. Hmm. Um, now he's back. He's still struggling. But what do you expect? They're all kind of looking over their shoulder. They don't. They don't have chemistry with who the, with the man next to them. It's you know, it's like I've said throughout the course of the season. It's both things, you know, Mourinho is not, it's just whatever he's doing right now, the strings he's pulling, it's not working. And by the same token, these, there are players out there that are just not playing well. I think Um, um, it's, it's, yeah, this is, this is what you get. I mean, this is ultimately, I guess we can't be, I can be surprised maybe a little bit by how they keep blowing leads week in, week out, but ultimately I'm not, can't be shocked with where they are. I I think when United equalized early enough in the second half, with just like three minutes you know, before the hour mark, I never felt that Spurs, just because of the way they've played all season and the patterns of their games, I never felt that they were going to win it. I always thought United were going to kick on and win it, and they did. Um, but Andrew, was there anything more tedious from this game than bread is bread and cheese is cheese? That whole exchange. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer wants to send, he doesn't want to do it, but if his son did what Hyunmin's son did, then he would go without bread and water or he would have just bread and water in some kind of Soviet gulag scenario. And then it's responded to by Jose by saying, oh, um, I'm glad that Hyunmin's son's father is a better father than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. And bread is bread and cheese is cheese. It was just such like such crap. This was the most pointless, you know, back and forth between managers. Confusing nonsense talk Mourinho what I loved about his reaction was that he took it so literally he did everything during that press conference short of picking up the phone and calling child and family services on Solskjaer (laughs) we almost reached that point with him with with like his criticism of Solskjaer as a father like yeah yeah, I don't know I I, the post-match stuff with managers and their press conferences I don't get too wrapped up in it's heat of the moment it's I know. not like i it, it's it's more funny to me than anything else i get solshire's point i mean it was yeah i don't have a problem with sun going down in the immediacy 
if you're running and somebody I hits do. you in the we, face, I, however oh hard God. or soft it is, uh, you know, we we're in a day and age in this sport where players going down for that. If you want to then get on him for staying down for three minutes, sure. That's fair. He was clearly not so hurt that he needed to be down for as long as he was, but you know, that's, that's soccer today. It just oh, is. I, I don't, uh, it is. It's you yeah. think he's the only guy to do that. No, but that, that was uh, the levels of innocuousness uh, uh, of what happened was just, just awful. And the referee had the opportunity to say, nah, just to knock that one in the head. I am not going, I'm not having, well, this. that that's the thing that now, annoys now me most. Now, like I was with some learned older heads. Um, oh, here we the back in my day. Oh, no, they didn't say that. What they said was, look, you, we are a couple of steps away from basketball now. And that's what that felt like. One of those things in basketball where you watch endless replay replays of it. Um, Wait a minute. They were implying it's going to be non-contact soon. It's going to be a non-contact sport. Yeah. If we keep going the way we're going. It's but funny anyway. because basketball fans will say the reverse basketball's not non-contact well it's not first of all but whatever we don't have to have that debate um but yeah no what you were just saying though about the referee having a chance that's the thing that i think annoys me the most with those situations is that the referee then has the chance to not reward that kind of behavior but because they do it's what perpetuates that kind of behavior and it's why it's not going to stop um so at any rate uh, JJ, we move on now. Chelsea four, Crystal Palace one. Go through this one quickly. Uh, I guess the interesting thing here is um, a week ago, we were comparing Christian Pulisic to Fredo or his hamstring. Not no, him. can we be specific? Um, we, you and I, both of us. No, you compared his hamstring, not him as a person, his characteristics or anything else, but his hamstring was the embodiment of Fredo Corleone. Uh, and now here we are a week later, two goals in this one for him against Palace. Um, his two goals, by the way, tie him with uh, Roy Weggerly for third most goals by an American in the Premier League, trailing Kent Dempsey and Brian McBride. Very good. Dempsey with 57, McBride with 36, Pulisic mm-hmm. and Weggerly with uh, 13. So good for Christian. This was this was a nice this was a nice watch for American yeah. fans. Well, it was a nice watch for Chelsea fans seeing Kai Havertz kind of really explode onto the scene. And his he, he was very close, by the way, to earning, I think, what would have gone into my driver's seat for goal of the season. Uh, where he flicked it over the yeah. head of the defender, came around and Gaita made the save. Yeah. yeah. He was, um, let me use football terminology that uh, Peter Drury would use. He was effervescent um, <laughs> all game. He was really, really good. And Chelsea looked good. Uh, Crystal Palace did not. Um, Pulisic's first goal was strikingly similar to the one he scored against Palace uh, during the the summer after after lockdown, after everybody came back playing at the restart. He scored a goal very similar to that from, I think, the same spot. But it was a really good first touch from him to control it because Havertz just pinged it at him. And yeah, It also kind of reminded me of Landon Donovan against Slovenia yeah, 2010. But- just like the tough angle. I'm not going to try to finesse this. I'm just going to smash it into the top netting. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying about the power and the finish and the nature of the finish, but uh, I got to overrule you, Andrew, because oh. it, was a, it, it was a much tighter angle uh, against Slovenia for, yes. uh, for landy kicks. That is true. But uh, yeah, no, good for Chelsea and um, yeah, very good for Pulisic. Yeah, and Tuchel, I was looking, I don't have all the numbers in front of me right now, but somebody posted a tweet over the weekend about this sort of being 
I guess, what Chelsea had in mind with their, for lack of a better term, rebuild. And, and you look at a lot of the players who starred for them in this game and like you look at their ages, you know, it's like Mason Mount and Havertz and Pulisic and Reese James. It's so many guys who are like 24 and under. And yeah. you just you just think not to get carried away, but if you're a Chelsea fan and you're looking at that and you're looking at these players who who have so much potential, uh, you've got to be thinking, okay, there's a title in here at some point. There just has to be. They, oh, come on, a, and a Chelsea I, fan's got to be thinking that way. Of course they are, but like we were thinking that way. The only person that wasn't thinking that way was Frank Lampard. <laughs> Frank Lampard and his uncle, they weren't even sure that they signed those players. You know, they signed the cream of European attacking talent. Of course, this is exactly where they should be. And, um, un- and unfortunately for Chelsea, or unfortunately for Frank Lampard, he had no idea how to put this together. And they have a manager now who, who clearly does. Uh, let's see. Let's continue now, JJ. A couple more quick ones. Trent, Trent Alexander-Arnold playing the role of hero. Yes. Keep Liverpool's top four hopes alive. Scoring late on, on a really nice goal. Uh, and it is uh, Liverpool, I guess, in some ways, avenging the earlier defeat to Villa uh, from several months ago. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it was about vengeance. It was yes, about it is. Tri- Everything is about vengeance. It was about Rowenge. It was, um, no, it was about staying in touch, um, basically. And, and they did that uh, despite the best efforts of, of VAR. <laughs> VAR, again, with its marginal uh, offside call, uh, interrupted the game. It was a bad weekend generally for VAR, but I don't want to dwell on those No, far things. be it from you to dwell on that. You know, var be it from me, indeed. Uh, Trent bending one into the bottom corner. Uh, look, I mean, it doesn't prove anything. I still wouldn't fancy him, you know, with a ball knocked over the top into the channels for him to defend it perfectly. Uh, but we know what his talents are. We know what his skills are. Um, so, so, so there he is. Oftentimes, uh, JJ, I, um, I know you pride yourself as being one of the great readers of our time. Uh, I am a great headline reader. I love the headlines and then I go on with my day. Yeah. So admittedly, I saw an article that I didn't read, but the headline was interesting <laughs> and uh, a better man than I would have read it. But it, it had it dealt with Trent Alexander-Arnold and maybe it's time uh, for a move up the field to a midfield position. Oh, that was in the order for him. It, was it, by it is, a fellow Irishman, Sir Kenneth of Early. OK. Yeah. Yep. Um, I read it. It was good. It, it, it makes it makes sense. He's saying that if it doesn't happen now, his lot in life will be to shuffle up and down the wing, uh, getting roasted by Ferlan Mendy and the like, and um, that you know play to your skills. He also he also makes the point that uh, as a youth player, uh, he was a midfielder, and he ended up at right back for or as a fullback for Liverpool because of why? Well, because that's where the the opportunity out of necessity. Or- yeah, exactly. That's where I mean, that's where Steven Gerrard started out. That's where everybody starts out. And he talks about how uh, Bayern Munich have, have have done that too. They've graduated their fullbacks. I mean, I don't yeah, know. Us, yeah. Yep. They graduated their fullbacks to midfield roles. So we'll see if that's what Klopp wants to do. But there's often times when I see him play and I think, well, he's kind of playing in midfield anyway. Um, and maybe, maybe when Henderson returns, when they're when when Van Dyke or, or Gomez returns and there's more cover. Uh, for him, he'll just go back to doing what he was doing. But um, yeah, it's um, it's going to be interesting to see how he develops. It certainly won't be Gareth Southgate that is the one to um, bring about his his move to midfield. That's for sure. Be interesting to see how he finishes the season. If that if not making that England squad kind of serves as like a kick in the a 
uh, and maybe it kicks him on in this season to try to find a level that he needs to reach to get back into the England squad. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. He seems he certainly seems to be thoroughly sick of people analyzing his defending and just talking about him. And um, Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher constantly parsing over his performances. Um, he's, he's, he's been the England player that's been most under the microscope for the past month, I would say. Uh, two more, JJ. Um, Jesse Lingard, it's turning into one of the great, I guess, reclamation stories of the season. And it's interesting for West Ham because I think just because of who they are and what they've been over the past you know, generation, really, uh, there's kind of been this thought of, okay, well, they'll fade away at some point. Liverpool... Uh, Chelsea, they'll, they'll start to distance themselves, and it, yeah. it's just not happening. No, it hasn't happened yet. And um, and and Lingard's been an inspired signing. Uh, I'm looking at uh, ESPN FC, PSG, Real Madrid, Inter Milan, monitoring Lingard's situation at Manchester United because, because of course honestly, he- if I showed you that headline three months ago. <laughs> Like, what would you what would you think? You think he maybe has like a long lost brother somewhere who's emerged at, at some yeah. other club? Like it's yeah. unbelievable. No, I think the chances are that his his uh, his this form will not continue. That this form will plateau. Um, you know, this guy's twenty eight years of age. He's he's he is in this kind of purple patch, if you want to call it. I think he's going to level off. Doesn't mean he won't be a very good player or a very well, good. If buyer. it levels off at this at this place, it's not well, bad. It's not going to stay here. It's going to dip and then probably plateau. Okay. Go flat. I would think. I'm making the flat motion with my hand now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's going to keep up this tilt. I don't, I don't think it's possible. But it doesn't mean he wouldn't be a good permanent signing for West Ham. And it, right. certainly if West Ham find themselves in the heady heights of the Champions League next season, he's going to be, uh, they're going to want him on side. But um, yeah, Moise has uh, been absolutely brilliant, Andrew. There's just no question about it. The Moyes illusion continues. Yeah. Not a great day for Leicester City, not just in the scoreline, but players missing because they're breaking COVID protocol. It's uh, not just, a great time of season to be uh, wandering into those waters. Just unbelievable. Because you can imagine what what Brendan Rodgers would have said to them. Look, lads, we know what happened last season injury-wise. So take care of yourself. We're in a really, really good position now. And what happens? Iosi Perez, Amza Chowdhury, Harvey Barnes, James Madison... And Wes Morgan, this reminds me so much. Well, I should tell people what happened. Iosi Perez brought COVID protocols and had a party and Chowdhury, Barnes, Madison and Wes Morgan turned up to it. And so Rogers disciplined them, left them out of the team for West Ham. They lose to West Ham. And, um, and now the, the, I mean, they're Chelsea are, uh, sorry, excuse me. West Ham are only a point off them. Uh, for that third spot for the Champions League. But this reminds me of, maybe I'm wrong, the boat, the New York Giants and the boat. When the young players, the young receivers, they booked their place in the playoffs. They had Green Bay. The, the, they had a week off, was it? No. What, no, they the, didn't. The game was Sunday. Yeah. They did this on the, the Monday before. The so, Monday beforehand, they went but down. But it to, wasn't just a game. It was a playoff game. It was a playoff game at Lambeau, right? Right. And there was a cast of characters on that boat. But the most senior one, I, I, if I remember correctly, was Victor Cruz. Mm-hmm. And I just think Wes Morgan's taking on the Victor Cruz m- mantle here. These players are all, what, a decade younger than him? Maybe not Iosi Perez. Everyone else is over a decade younger than him. He's a senior. He was... The captain of the team that won the the Premier League, 
Yeah. You know, this, this, your analogy, I, I understand it. This is worse, though. The Leicester City one is worse because oh, it's much worse. I mean, the no... Giants one, it was basically, you know, you, you can just simply criticize those guys. Oh, your head's not in the right place the week of a playoff game. This right. is you guys are missing a game now because you did this in a crucial point of the season. Now, I criticize Rodgers as well. Um, he says they'll return for the FA Cup semifinal. I, I think I think they should have played. I think Rodgers... I know it's a discipline issue. It's difficult. I would have played them in this game Oof. or whoever was available because some of them, were, I mean, wouldn't have been available anyway through injury, but I would have played them in this game. I mean, if, what, what's more important? You've got to prioritize here. I would have, I would have played them and dropped them for the cup. Yep. <sighs> wow. Yeah. It doesn't say much for the discipline at Leicester, does it? Uh, no, I think it says quite a bit. Yeah. You're, it doesn't say much for the discipline at Leicester if you were in charge. Yeah, but at this point, I'm like trying to not to ensure. You would hope that it didn't come out, essentially. Uh, That's what you're saying. Pretty much. That you could get away with playing them and not have to get the blowback for that. Pretty much. Yeah, I think at this point, because why? why I don't know if that's realistic. No, but it's Brendan Rodgers and, and the rest of the team and the fans that are suffering because of this. I mean, what if they fall out of the Champions League spots now? Well, they'll have to live with that. This game will be absolutely key. Look, Brendan Rodgers, he'll go on. I'm, I don't. He'll have to wear it to a certain extent if it happens to them again. But overall, people will look at what he's done at Leicester City. You know, uh, what is their budget in comparison with the teams around oh, them? Oh, like, I know. I, I mean, know it, so that. so he'll if he leaves Leicester tomorrow, there will be ten clubs lined up to sign him. So like he can he can afford to do this and sleep well at night. Yeah, I know. But I'm just thinking of just the priorities of actually, you know making sure they grasp that Champions League spot. Champions League football for Leicester. Amazing. You really are a molder of young men, aren't you? <laughs> I, I mean, what do you do with these? And, young men, what do you do with a senior pro, as Roy Keane says, senior pros? What do you do with a senior pro like Wes Morgan? Nothing. Get rid. Uh, finally, JJ, um, Everton, nil-nil. Oh, good. Uh, Sounded yeah. like a brutal game. I didn't watch it. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's another another opportunity missed. I, by the way, I did so. I brought it to some of my friends that I, I mentioned last week. We were talking about if it's panic time or if it's calm or chaos for Everton, yeah. and um, so oh. their their answers were interesting. They all said that it is chaos, <laughs> oh. um, and, and they were adamant about that. All right, but as the conversation kind of grew on, they all sort of took this tone of almost being like numb to the chaos. If that makes sense. That's kind of what I said, though. It's more or less what I said. Uh, and I think I think I think also the fact that they've got the new stadium coming down the line. There's a new era on the way for Everton that maybe they're just like, oh, OK, let's just get through the last seasons of old Everton. You know, let's put up with this, this direct, this dross. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, they're, they're blowing an opportunity. Um, and yeah, they're we, we've talked about that. It's a calmed numbness. Um, so there you go. That's our look at Europe. Now, JJ, here we go. Uh, we'll speak with Jeff Carlisle in a few moments, but first it's MLS time. That's right. And you to do this this year for our season preview, you have gone to an old staple of yours from your childhood. Explain, uh, show, explain this. A show that I rarely watched. It was called Blankety Blank, and it was on uh, ITV. What a name of a show. And celebrities would come on. They'd be given a statement, and they'd have to get the, you know, there'd be a blank part to the statement. So they'd have to get guess the right part to win points or prizes or whatever. 
Uh, and an old fat comedian called Les Dawson used to present it. And the theme tune was uh, very jaunty indeed. This is... What about that? This is certainly of an era. It is of an era. Uh, Saturday Night TV, I think, in, in the UK. I don't know if this quite is the the tone that gets me excited for MLS's season, but... You it's asked what, me. What we you, have. You text me. You said, "Find me a way into talking about this," and I just said, "Let's play blankety blank. Let's have blank statements about uh, MLS, and we fill in what we think." Okay. Well, let's do it then. Blankety right. blank time. All right. We'll start with this, JJ. I got a few uh, blankety blanks for you. The first one: the player I'm most excited about this year is blankety blank. You can just say blank, Andrew. Oh. <laughs> uh, player I'm most excited about this year is Lucas Zellerian, uh, Columbus crew, with his outstanding performance in the MLS Cup Final 2020, relatively fresh in our minds, Andrew, and entering his second season in Major League Soccer. The Columbus number 10 looks like he has so much more to offer. Um, he enters the 21 season as a reigning champion, but it's weird because he only has 22 games played, eight goals, four assists, 28 years old. So he's in the prime of his career and looks set to join the ranks of the elder statesman, uh, in this group of creative players, Lodero, Valeri, uh, Pozuela. Um, he's going to be one of the league's outstanding creative forces again. And I think he's going to cement it now because he's going to have a longer run, more games. Uh, second season, he'll have a chance to really acclimatize as if he didn't look like he had already. So uh, for me, I'm quite excited to see where Zellerian can end up this season. Uh, it's funny. I went with kind of a similar part of the field. Uh, I went with Emmanuel Reynoso from Minnesota United FC. El Rey, Bebelo. That's right, JJ. Uh, oh, good the Lord. Loons, what was the that? Loons playmaker. The way he ended last season was spectacular for them. Uh, so I'm excited to see if he picks up from there. Three playoff games, a goal, six assists. His free kick was legendary. Uh, I know it didn't wind up resulting in them reaching the final, but it was uh, it was an amazing performance from him. So we've seen the playmaker he can be, the free kick artist that he can be. Now it's going to be interesting to see if he can improve as a goal scorer because Adrian Heath challenged him to do that. Wants more goals from him this season, and he might have to uh, with Kevin Molina gone. Um, so we'll see if he can kind of up that element of his game. It's what I'm most interested about with him. And it'll be interesting to see the chemistry he has with Ramon Abila, who they just signed. Uh, Abila and Reynoso were teammates at Boca Juniors. And so now it will be on Bebelo, JJ, to make the uh, the incoming striker feel right at home. Oh, so you're he, trying to sound exotic. It's terrible. Bebelo. He's been discussed already as kind of like, um, you know, sort of an up-and-coming MVP candidate. And I think he's worthy of the hype. So uh, Emmanuel Reynoso, Minnesota United FC. Don't ever say I don't talk enough about Minnesota United FC, Loons fans. All right? I won't have it. Uh, so, yeah, he's my, uh, he's my player I'm most excited to watch this year. Up next, JJ, Blankety Blank are primed to take a big step forward this season. You can just say blank. Um, Atlanta United are primed to take a big step forward this season. Uh, how can they not be better than last season's embarrassment where the team that grabbed the most column inches since they entered the league a few years back didn't even make the playoffs? There's a sense that the club is going back to first principles after the failed uh, De Boer era. So in comes another Argentinian in uh, Gabriel Heinze, a man who played for Tata Martino. Rigorous, intense, demanding... Uh, a very demanding coach from what we're hearing about their preseason at, uh, in any event, uh, youthful and highly rated South Americans joined the pack. 
Santiago Sosa in midfield, Eric Lopez center forward, and Franco Ibarra in midfield. Oh, and um, a 90 goal in 104 game striker, Joseph Martinez. Oh, oh. That guy returns from an ACL injury. They will be better. There's no way they can't be better. A big step forward. They could be a force again. Uh, of the uh, the questions that we're doing for this, I actually found this one to be the easiest for me personally. Oh, um, and I went with New England, JJ. They they snuck into the playoffs last year after kind of an up and down season, but then we saw what they were capable of when they are healthy and clicking. And the healthy is the important part of that. I mean, their run ended just a game short of uh, reaching MLS Cup final. Um, you know, starting in the back, we know how strong Matt Turner can be in goal. In front of them, they've gotten, I, I guess, it's really now a more consistent partnership. Andrew Farrell, Henry Kessler, I think they played all but two games alongside one another last season. But then look up the field because this is where they're strongest. Carlos Heel, truly a difference maker. And like I said, healthy. That is the what he brings to this team when he is healthy, when he's 100%. They're different. They're a completely different side. And I think we'll now see that over the course of the season. Uh, he's going to be tasked. Gustavo Bo, of course, Adam Buxa, um, guys that Heel will bring into the fold and make them better. And Books is an interesting one because he was not great. And, and, you know, we hear all the time about it sometimes taking a minute for players to come from abroad and adjust to this league, let alone, I'm sure, in a pandemic year, what that was like for him. So I think a healthy heel uh, and a year plus of experience for Books, I think that'll help. Um, and then, you know, they've got names to watch as well. I remember last season in the, in the playoffs specifically being so impressed with Tejon Buchanan. Um, you know, he was a problem. The union could not deal with him. He scored a crucial goal in their playoff matchup. Uh, he's a Canadian under 23, so he may not have a spot in New England starting 11 right out of the gate, but I think you're going to see him on the field more and more as the season progresses. In fact, JJ, I saw one report going through this where there's European clubs already sniffing around him. Sporting Lisbon, uh, if you believe what you read, is is potentially interested. So uh, we'll see if he makes a big impression this season and if it is kind of like a, a springboard for him to uh, other leagues abroad. But yeah, New England, I think, is the team – I don't see them sneaking into the playoffs this season. I think they're they're a solid playoff team, as long as they can stay healthy. Of okay. Course. Uh, all right, JJ, I think blank was the biggest move of the offseason. I think Brenner was the biggest move of the offseason. How Yule? Does it... <laughs> Yule Brenner. Uh, Brenner the Brazilian, Andrew. Oh. How does a 21-year-old highly rated Brazilian striker end up in Cincinnati, Ohio? Um, this is from Goal. Uh, this is what created some of the hype around this player. He'd scored 21 goals in his last 39 appearances for Sao Paulo, including 13 during a stunning one-month, 11-game blitz through October and November. That's a streak. As a result, Sao Paulo reportedly demanding 50 million, uh, 50 million euro, which is $60 million for his services. So FC Cincinnati and old Yap Stam get him for 13 million from under the noses of Europe's elite clubs. It's a very strange move. If Brenner is what some people think he is, then it will be a stepping stone to European football. All eyes will be on Brenner as he sets about improving the um, the pretty woeful scoring stats of FCC. But I'm just, I'm curious. Is this guy as good as people say he is? Was a lot of hype created to engineer a move to MLS, is MLS the staging post? I don't know. Interesting. Uh, all right, JJ, I, I went in a little bit of a different direction here. I hope you don't think I'm cheating. I didn't go with a player for my biggest move of the offseason. I went with a manager, and I went with Greg Vanny, 
going from Toronto FC to the Galaxy. Uh, the Galaxy are, are not a club that expect to be down for long. And I, and I wonder if they view this as almost a reclamation product, uh, project, sort of like what Vanny walked into when he went to Toronto FC. If the Galaxy are looking for him to kind of do that again, but at this club. Because uh, like I said, this is this is not where they think that they should be. They think they should be near the top of this conference. Um, you know, they brought in new pieces, Jorge Villafania, Derek Williams, JJ, uh, Irishman, I believe. Um, Kevin Cabral. Yes, Center yeah. mid from Blackburn Rovers. Yeah, Kevin Cabral on a, on a designated player deal, of course. And, uh, you know, one of last season's, we have to call it what it is, one of last season's biggest disappointments, Chicharito, Javier Hernandez, he is back. Um, and he is going to, I'm sure, be wanting to make right what looked so wrong a year ago. And it's going to be on Vanny to try to make it work for him. Uh, so this will not be easy. There's going to be bumps um, especially out of the gate, but I don't know. I'm, I'm going to bet on the guy who's made it to three MLS cup finals, one of which he won a CONCACAF champions league final, which he only lost on penalties, a manager of the year award to his name. Uh, I'm going to bet on that guy. So I think Greg Vanny will find a way to, uh, to make the best of this situation in LA. All right, next one. Okay, let's go. All right. I really have no idea what to expect out of blank this season. I really have no idea what to expect out of New York City FC this season. Mm. Um, gauging the temperature here in the city, Andrew, because I know you live in uh, Mordor, uh, far outside the city. Uh, gauging the temperature amongst the NYCFC fans ahead of the new season, I would settle on the word tepid. Um, dealing first with the team on the field. Are they still a decent team? Yes. But they've hardly done much business to quicken the pulse of their disgruntled supporters. Signings like Chris Gloucester and Alfredo Morales don't exactly grab headlines, but you can see how Ronnie Dahlia, a little bit more of a conservative manager, would like them. Uh, the striker Herber, uh, Haber isn't fit yet, and that may mean they start the season a little short of goals. Off the field is the real issue for me. NYCFC fans could stomach having to play more games at Red Bull Arena again this season if they had something concrete on their own stadium project. Pardon the pun, but they don't. And online, they shared their disappointment. Uh, and at one point, there was talk of fans not renewing season tickets. So I don't know where NYFC, NYCFC are right now. I don't know what to expect. I still think they could be a solid team, but um, their fans are disgruntled. And to get them back on side and a little, a little less disgruntled um, is going to take something big on the field. And, and I don't know if they're going to produce that. Uh, let's see. For mine, JJ, I went with Orlando City as a team. I don't know what to expect to uh, what to expect from the season. And what I mean by that is this: I know they're good. They are good, right? It's just a matter of trying to decide if they're make the playoffs good or if they're contend for a title good. Because to me, there is a differentiation. What's happening with Daryl DK right now at Barnsley? <laughs> this is like the stuff of legend. It's been so fun to watch. Uh, but I wonder how fans in Orlando feel about it because I'm sure they want him su to succeed. Yes. But like, is he now succeeding too much? Now, in some ways, it's good. They've slapped a $20 million price tag on him. Um, so they could be in line to receive a lot of money should this guy leave. But they claim he's coming back when his loan spell ends. I don't know. Why do I feel like there's a lot of uncertainty there? Um, and that's going to be important for them as to that part of the field, center forward. Who are they going to rely on? Is it still him or is... Somebody else is going to have to fill that void. And that is where the uncertainty begins because that man is Alexander Pato. Um, it was a signing that some may have rolled their eyes at MLS taking a page out of the old playbook, but two things. Everyone for, rolled their eyes a little bit, Andrew. Right. But for one, 
it's a playbook for Orlando that has worked recently with Nani. You know, you can't uh, deny no, that no, no, his, no, no, no. his move there no. has been a huge success. And his that was probably also a signing that might have had people rolling their eyes. But not, but Nani came in with with you know still very much active as a, as a professional footballer, whereas Pato had been out of contract for for how many months? Six or seven months? No club. That that, that litany, the you know the injury history. I don't know. Uh, but when I'm talking about the old playbook, I mean you know player of name value past his prime. Perhaps let's yes. bring him in here and see if we can make it work. But the other thing with Pato is. Say what you want about the preseason, but he's hit the ground running because he's been excellent so far in preseason. So, look, Orlando City, they're, they're like I said, they're still a strong club, and they have the makings of what could be you know, some, a really bright MLS future in Chris Mueller. Um, you know, we're all high, we think highly of guys like Maurizio Pereira, Junior Urso, Andreas, uh, Andres Perea. They're strong in the midfield. It's a good team. They were fourth last year. Are they that again? Are they first? Are they sixth? I don't know. For me, it kind of remains to be seen a little bit. The resolution to DK situation combined uh, with Pato's acclamation into the league, that's going to go a long way, I think, in, in determining their fate this season. Um, okay. And la- last but not least here, JJ, I think blank are the best team in the league. I think Columbus Crew are the best team in the league. And I, this is a one-sentence one for me, Andrew. It's very simple. They've kept all their championship-winning team and they've managed to snag Kevin Molino, albeit he, he is injured right now, mm-hmm. and Bradley Wright Phillips. I mean, sometimes we talk about teams, what do they need to get? What do they need to bring on board to be better? And sometimes the conclusion is they just need to stay the same. Keep what you got. They've done that, and they've, uh, they've snagged two players who can grab goals and one, a legendary goal scorer in MLS. Columbus Crew for me. It's hard to argue with. Um, I will go a different direction. I'm going to say LAFC for a couple of reasons. For one, it's just hard for me to envision the Bob Bradley, Carlos Vela, Diego Rossi era not yielding a title at some point. It's just I would just be surprised if this ends without a title uh, in Los Angeles for them. Um, they've done some smart business over the winter. They brought in Corey Baird from Real Salt Lake, which I think was a nice surprise. It never hurts when you simultaneously boost your squad while weakening a potential rival. Um, they kind of did the same with Marco Farfan as well, who they brought in from Portland. And uh, on top of that, right back was probably a weakness for them last year. They went out, got a Korean international, Kim Moon Hwan comes in. He's got an injury, so it might be a little bit before he really gets going. But I think LAFC fans will like him when he does. And you're right, losing Bradley Wright Phillips is going to hurt them in terms of depth at center forward. Same with uh, Adama Diamande, both guys gone. Um, and in addition to that, we don't know Brian Rodriguez's situation. He's currently at UD Almera on loan with an option to buy. So there's a chance we don't see him in MLS again. Um, and it's worth mentioning that they might have a weakness at goalkeeper. Um, so you know, th- there are, it's not a lock certainly, but ultimately the Vela Rossi duo Rossi coming off a golden boot season, Vela back healthy, which of course means everything for them ready to add to his, Insane tally, JJ, 52 goals and 29 assists in 66 MLS matches. It's really something. It, it's incredible. So if this team can be flying up front again, uh, you know, in attack, in midfield, boosted at fullback, maybe they can make up for some of their shortcomings uh, in goal. And and if you want to say center back, I think they're okay with uh, Mario and Eddie Segura. But if you want to say that's a weakness, I think this team has the firepower where they can overcome some of those things. So 
uh, I look at them and uh, I think, I think we could be heading towards a Columbus LAFC final, which I think would be, I think that would be a lot of fun. Oh, wow. This season. Well, why? What do you, you predictions? No, no, no. I'm just shocked that you did a prediction for a final already. I'm, I'm no, well, what are, I mean, what are we doing here? That's, I know. that's part of the fun of season previews. I know, but I'm, I'm not ready for a final prediction. All it's of MLS. Seattle just rolled their eyes at us every <laughs> year. Seattle just is slept on. Okay. Don't yeah. mention us. Don't talk about us. We'll just reach another MLS cup final, you know, whatever Portland too. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they, they're both certainly within their rights to feel that way. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's uh, let's get more now on all this MLS season preview stuff and do so with one of our favorite people to have on the program, Jeff Carlisle of ESPNFC, back with us once again. Jeff, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? We're good. We're doing good. Um, I wanted to start with you with the Philadelphia Union. Um, Typical. <laughs> well, well, I didn't get to them in my own preview, so I, I figured I'd start with Jeff on that one. Look, it... Supporter Shield winners. I mean, I don't think it's it's unusual to bring them up. They've lost McKenzie and Aronson. Like it, it could be a new look team. And I'm just wondering, from your perspective, is there any reason to think they take a step back, or does that academy just kind of keep cranking out first team ready talent? I mean, that's going to be the challenge, isn't it? Um, you know, I, and I think you have to define what's a step back. Um, I mean, I think the union, for me, it wasn't just a triumph on the field. I mean, it was a triumph of philosophy of approach, you know, that they're going to, you know, other teams have relied on their Academy, but, you know, I think they've taken it a step farther with Ernst Tanner really finding some, (laughs) some raw gems in Europe. I mean, you know, you think of like, you know, Kai Wagner and, um, and, and players like that. And, and, you know, and then you, you kind of fuse in a, you know, combine that with Ali Bedoya and, you know, so it, it's 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 been impressive how they they piece this team together, and I've just been really impressed with the way that Tanner has not so much gained the system, but but really, he, he's just been very astute in in the way he's found value. This is a value league. This is anyway because there's a salary cap in place. You've got to find value, and Tanner has has done that I think as well as anybody, you know, over over the last few years. And so, I mean if they finish fourth in the Eastern conference and make the playoffs, is that a step back? I I guess technically it is, but it's also pretty far ahead of where people usually think about the Philadelphia union, that they're kind of scraping to get into the playoffs and, and maybe losing the first round. I think, you know, the last couple of years, uh, you know, they've shown that they're, they're one of the, the best teams, but, you know, can they, can they overcome the loss of a McKenzie and an Aronson? I, I mean, I think, I think it's going to be awfully tough to, to repeat last year, but I think they're still a good team. Um, I, I think they're, they're still on their day going to give te- you know, opponents plenty of problems. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to see, you know, how that team tries to, to plug in replacements and, and see if they can once again, make, make the, the proverbial hole bigger than the, than the players that they've got. Jeff, um, Atlanta United kind of set up this blueprint for an expansion team. This is how you come into the league. This is how it's done. And I feel as if some of the teams that have come afterwards, we'll say the Nashvilles of this world, they've they've decided that they were going to go down a similar route. Obviously not with the same amount of success as Atlanta initially had. Then there's Inter-Miami. 
And this is uh, not so much a glamour club as a, as a drama club off the field. They are just fascinating to me. As we enter the new season, uh, what, what shape is this in? Because there's so much going on. There's the stadium initially, which I think they, they kind of got on top of with they found a nice compromise, at least for now, in where they are um, at the old uh, Striker Stadium. And then I suppose there's the, the problem with the logo. And then there was a problem with the way that they acquired players, which has really enraged the league. And then they appointed Phil Neville, who was not universally welcomed. And he definitely didn't get the job because he's David Beckham's best friend. So, <laughs> so, so can, can you give me as, as, as broad an overlook of, of where Inter-Miami are at or what can, what can we even expect from them for this, uh, their second season in MLS? I mean, I think that's the, the draw of it. I don't know what to expect. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, they've got four DPs. And they've got to solve that somehow. I mean, poor Matias Pellegrini. I mean, you know, he, through no fault of his own, is looking like he's probably going to have to be shipped elsewhere, um, either within the league or without. Um, And, you know, you you just wonder, you know, how much of, of the thinking in Miami last year was, well, you know, once upon a time, the LA Galaxy kind of had four DPs. So, you know, maybe we can slide this one through. And and even in that situation, I mean, Gio Dos Santos ended up having to be sold yeah. or, or, you know, had his, his contract bought out, I think. And um, so, I mean, I don't know what, I mean, Ryan Shawcross, I mean, is he really going to be the answer in the back? I mean, he's got loads of experience, but, you know, that's another acquisition where you're kind of looking at it like, yeah, okay, are they getting people that they just know and are tight with, or are they really beating the bushes to try to find talent? And, and, and to be fair, I, I think Chris Henderson, what, you know, getting him to come on as sporting director, I, I applaud that 100%. I mean, he, he's a bright guy. He, 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 he's shown that in Seattle that, that, that he knows what the league is about, what works, what doesn't. And so it's going to be interesting to see what players come in, but I mean, I, I don't know what to expect from this team. Um, you know, it's, I mean, Phil Neville's there. You know, we'll see how he does. But, yeah. you know, I, I think that the skepticism around his hire was 100% justifiable. I mean, you know, what has this guy done? And it's, Miami is continually over-promising and under-delivering, right. whether it's with coaching hires, um, you know, whether it's with pl- player acquisitions. I mean, I like, you know, Rodolfo Pizarro as a player, um, but there was so much more promise, so much more buzz around this team about what they were going to do and they haven't done it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, who knows, maybe, maybe with the, with the players that they've assembled that that ends up working for them, but I, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to work. It, it's just, it's going to be fun to watch or fun to not see it work. <laughs> I mean, one of the two things is going to happen and, you know, we'll see how it goes, but um, you know, Beckham's is supposedly much more involved this year and, We'll see if that's a good thing or a bad thing. They were one of last year's newcomers. What about this year? Welcome to MLS Austin FC. Uh, what's your early read on on whether or not they'll be able to succeed right out of the gate? Um, you know they've they, they've put together some some interesting players. I mean, I think they've made some sharp acquisitions. You know, you got Claudio Reyna raiding his old club to to pick up Alex Ring, which I think you know they had to. They had to part with quite a bit of allocation money, but you know they they had they had a little bit extra to spend. So I mean I, I don't see anything necessarily wrong with that. Um, you know I see them in some ways 
similar to Nashville last year, you know, they, they seem to get the back, you know, the back part of the lineup or the back part of the field sorted out a little bit faster than the front part. I mean, I saw Danny Hooson in, in San Jose for, for a few years and he, he struck me as a guy who could be effective, but for whatever reason, wasn't, I mean, granted that a lot of that was because San Jose was just a dumpster fire for, uh, for some of that time. But I mean, you know, they, they, they just look a little light up front. I mean, Rodney Redis was, was, you know, I think their first signing. We'll see how he does. Um, but it's, you know, I, I think they'll be, they remind me a little bit of Nashville. I mean, maybe they've got a little bit more attacking prowess than the Nashville had at the start. Um, but they strike me as a team that I think is going to be pretty solid in the back. And, and then they're there, I think in terms of the attack, that's, that's, a, that's an area where they're going to try to find their way as the season goes on. Jeff, is there, is there a team entering this season that you think people are sleeping on, they're not talking about them, and that they could go on to have a, a very good season and maybe maybe go all the way? I'm looking at New England, and it, it's, you know, it's not so much that, that people aren't talking about them at all, but, you know, when I think there's a lot of attention on Atlanta United and to see what Gabriel Heinze does. Um, obviously Columbus is, is trying to defend a title and they've reloaded. Um, although, you know, Kevin Molino has a hamstring injury that's going to keep him out a while. So that that's undercut their plans a little bit, but obviously they're going to be very good, very competitive. Um, but I look at the way that new England went through the playoffs last year and it wasn't so much the way they finished the regular season because they were a little bit up and down too. But once they got Carla, Carlos heel back, they were a different team. And I think they've shored up some of the weaknesses in, in their team. I, I see, uh, you know, with Captum, you know, the, the Cameroonian midfielder, I think they're going to have a little bit more bite than maybe they had last year. And, uh, you know, they showed up, um, they've gotten some reinforcements on the wings as well. And so, you know, you combine that with a fantastic young goalkeeper, Matt Turner, uh, Henry Kessler's a, you know, a good up and coming center back. I mean, I just like, and then they've got the attacking pieces with, with Gustavo Bo and, and Hill mm. and, and Buxa. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I look in Bruce Arena. I mean, the guy knows the league. I mean, he knows yeah. what it takes to win in the league. And so you, you add all that together. And I think that New England is a team that, that could definitely do some damage in the East. But I think there are like half a dozen teams in the East that, that could do damage too. So it's going to be very competitive in that conference. Uh, Jeff, I'm always curious heading into a season MVP front runners. Who are some of the guys that you're kind of, is it, is it the usual suspects? Any new names we should be on the, uh, the lookout for? I think Carlos Vela is going to bounce back in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I think you look at some of the, the, the deals or the moves that LAFC has made and, you know, they've, they've shored up the outside back positions on both sides. Um, uh, you know, they, they had already tried to start to revamp the defense last year with, with Mario Um and so, and then they've got that midfield, that, that energizer bunny midfield of, you know, Atuesta and, and Latif Blessing and Mark Anthony Kay. And, you know, they've got guys like Janela, who I think would start for a lot of other MLS teams. So I just think it's going to be, you know, if the defense can improve, if those guys pan out the way that, that John Thorrington and Bob Bradley think they will, um, I think it's going to be more pedal to the metal, go forward and just try to crush teams in the attack. Uh, you know, it was interesting, you know, they, they had such a solid team and, 
you know, then they, they dealt away Walker Zimmerman. And, and I think that that knocked them for a loop a little bit. So now that they've kind of fixed that part of it, well, I mean, we'll see if they fix it permanently, but they've taken some steps to, to try to fix it. I just think that's going to, you know, release the hounds as it were. And I think Vela is, is going to, going to have a big season. I mean, I'm interested to see what Joseph Martinez does, you know, you know, to see how well he comes back. Um, certainly Atlanta is going to need him to, to be, you know, at least be close to his best, you know, if they're going to get back to the playoffs. Um, you know, we'll see about Minnesota too. Um, I think Minnesota United is another team that, I mean, it seems like they've been looking for a forward for, you know, forever. They might and have it. So, um, you know, it's, uh, you know, so it's, you know, and then they finally got the, the, the guy from Boca Juniors, his name escapes me at the moment. Abila. Yeah, Abila. Um, you know, I think, you know, it, it's going to be fascinating to see if he can be the guy. I mean, obviously he's got a, a relationship with uh, the Bella Reynoso from, from their time together at Boca. So we'll see how quickly he's able to, to hit the ground running. But it's fascinating. I mean, Adrian Heath has got this reputation as being this forward whisperer, but he kind of burns through them pretty quick. <laughs> I mean, you know, there was, there was Amaria and then there was uh, Angelo Rodriguez and you know, they got Kai Kamara. They rented him for a bit. And so it's, you know, they, they made some toy he has come and gone. And so, uh, you know, It'll be interesting to see if uh, Abila is going to be the guy. So that, that's another team that they, they've improved every year. I mean, granted, they, they started out at a ridiculously low, you know, mark. But, you know, these last couple seasons, you can see how they've gotten better and better and, and really built up that roster. So, um, you know, and then in the East, it's crazy. I mean, Orlando will be good again. Obviously, Columbus. Um, you know, I'm fascinated to see how the two New York teams end up doing. Um given some of the changes that they've made. So, uh, so, and we'll see if Frankie Amaya comes on board or not. So <laughs> we, they, they wanted to sign a new deal before that trade goes through. So we'll see how that turns out. Last one for me, Jeff. Uh, we're always obsessed in, in, in covering this league about, well, where is the league now since last season? Where is it from a decade ago? We always want this kind of forward progress. We need a state of the union address from you. Um, I'm not asking for a full state of the union dress, but um, considering this, the, the strange times we're in right now, um, how, how would you, I suppose, how would you, you describe the shape of the league as we enter in this, in, into this season right now? Is it in good order um, considering, I mean, there will be limitations, COVID limitations going into this season? I mean, I think it depends on how quickly fans can get back into the stands. Um, you know, obviously some fans will be in there and some fans were there last year. Uh, but it's no secret that this is a league that is heavily dependent on game day revenue, you know, the ticket sales, the parking, the concessions, merchandise, all that good stuff. So, you know, I think the league has done well to get through the pandemic. Um, obviously there was some belt tightening that went on, not only, at the various teams, but also at league headquarters as well. So, uh, but they, they've got to get fans back in the stands. And, and, and it, it, I think it remains to be seen how quickly that's going to happen. Um, you know, you, you hear about the variants and you hear about, you know, cases starting to spike in certain parts of the country. And you're like, wait a minute, we, we've got a vaccine. We've got several vaccines, you know, why isn't this happening faster? So it's, you just, you know, I think if you're the league, you're hoping that by midsummer, um, 
the the crowds are, are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and people are more comfortable uh, going to the games. Um, but it's, I mean, they're not out of the woods yet. Um, and that kind of goes for the whole country with, with regards to, to COVID. So it's, you know, I think if you're looking at the league, I'm hopeful that, that things will continue to get better, but there are no absolutes with this thing. So, you know, fingers crossed. Yep. Uh, last one for me, Jeff, not so much about this season, but looking ahead, the 30th team, uh, where do things stand with that right now? Well, I think the league is going to give Sacramento every chance to try to turn this around. And, okay. you know, there's a part of me that, that feels, I don't know if you feel sorry for them, but I mean, in terms of the city, in terms of the fans, this happened through no fault of their own. I mean, Ron Burkle took another look at this. He took another look at the finances and decided to walk away. And you, it's, you look at the outlay that's being asked, which is six, you know, 600 million, give or take. And you can kind of understand that he is, he is a master at buying distressed assets. I mean, look at the Pittsburgh Penguins. You know, they were in bankruptcy when he got a hold of them. And this is far different from that. So I think the league is going to give Sacramento a chance. You know, you, you talk to the folks there. Hey, you know, we're talking to people. But I mean, the, part of the, you know, the big bummer out of all this was that Sacramento spent a year and a half basically waiting for Ron Burkle to get this thing up to speed and it never happened. And that was time that they could have spent looking for somebody else. And so now that, you know, they, they kind of got to start over, but, um, you know, Garber made it clear yesterday that they're looking at other options. You know, they're looking at Las Vegas, they're looking at San Diego, they're, they're looking at Phoenix. And, you know, the tough thing for, for Sacramento is these deals are complicated, but they've largely got some pretty complicated pieces already sorted out. The other places, you know, they don't have an owner in San Diego. And, and I think the league would like to see Phoenix's ownership group, you know, get bolstered and their, their stadium issues, you know, in, in Las Vegas and, and Phoenix. And so, you know, that's assuming that in Las Vegas, they don't just play at the Raiders stadium. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of wide open again. Um, and I, I don't think the team, the league is going to stop at 30 teams. I mean, I think, you know, 32 is, is probably the sweet spot, you know, wow. just in terms of numbers. Um, I mean, but it, that's just, no one has told me that they're going to 32, but that's just kind of my gut feeling. And so, uh, you know, that would not surprise me, but um, the league has always done a really good job of creating the perception of scarcity in the market. And, and there is a little bit of that, but, you know, I, I, I it, if they were to announce tomorrow, Hey, we're going to 32 teams, I'd be nodding my head and think, thinking, yeah, that's where I thought this was going to go. Yep. Well, good stuff, man. It should be fun. Looking forward to the start of the season this week. Uh, appreciate you checking in, helping us out with our season preview. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Our thanks to Jeff helping us break down the upcoming MLS season, JJ. Yeah, man, I'm quite excited for it. More soccer added to the roster, Andrew. Yeah. So, uh, How yeah. dare you, by the way, mock my asking a question about the union, as if no, that's it, like an unusual thing. It's not unusual because they are extremely relevant right now. But even when they weren't, you'd ask questions about them just because of your... That's your, not true. In fact, I used to get criticism from my friends. Your, oh, you never you, talk about them. God, you talk about everybody except them. But they were bad for so long. And I now know. And now they're like a model club. It's, a, it's I know. A, it's an incredible turnaround that they've made in about a two-year span. I, by the way, I think Kai Wagner is still orbiting somewhere after the tackle last week in, uh, against Saprissa. 
you could, you could see that. And by the way, just a yellow card, just a yellow card. Um, you could see the Saprissa player lining up to absolutely oh, yeah. like from a mile away. That was coming. Um, <laughs> oh God, I, it's we can laugh now because it didn't shatter his leg. Right, uh, he was able to lift both legs and. Get Although up. that that was one of my favorite visuals of the whole thing. Obviously, the number one visual is Wagner four feet off the ground, horizontal in midair. But yes. then after that, now everyone is fighting. No one really knows if he's okay. But everyone is in a group fighting, and then he is lying basically motionless, face down on the ground. Like, yeah. for all we know, his leg, like, he might need an amputation on the field, but like, no one even cares. There's no, no trainers out there to look at him, no players really checking on him. It's just like, I'm going to find like a still shot of like his body just to the side of this like crime scene. You have to say about CONCACAF, if, if, uh, you know, we hear it all the time about games gone in the Premier League. If Sun was the ultimate games gone, then the Saprissa tackle, the Saprissa players tackle, CONCACAF Champions League is the ultimate antidote to all of that. Because CONCACAF Champions League exists in 1987. Like, <laughs> it's never been brought forward in terms of, of tackling or physicality. It will remain where it is. Yep. Yeah. Got to love it'll, it. And it'll remain... Well, you don't, the- actually, but... <laughs> it's something. Um, by the way, the uh, the lineup for the Champions League this week is is going to be interesting. We're going to assume that Chelsea are going through in their tie. <sighs> wow, these are big statements. No, that's not a big statement. But PSG, Bayern, Bayern Munich is. I still think Munich have something to say in, when they go to Paris. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on Wednesday, Liverpool and Real Madrid. We we'll have to see what Anfield is like, shorn of its main. Of fans, can it uh, can it become one of those special European nights, one of those comeback nights? And Dortmund, Man City, ooh, yeah, at the Westfalen Stadion. Yep, there are some good ones for sure. Well, hey, this was fun, man. I enjoyed this very much. I hope everybody enjoys the upcoming Champions League action, Concacaf Champions League action, domestic leagues over the weekend. MLS is back. There's there's a lot going on. I look forward to the incoming emails from different parts of America of our great nation telling us we suck. Because we never mentioned their team. That's fair, by the way. Oh, yeah, but it's not deliberate. No, it's of course not. We say what we think. I would tell those people to, yes, do that. Like, if if we did not mention your club and there's things that you want to ask us about, take this as the opportunity to do it. And I promise we will get to those things in our mailbag next week. I promise you. The mailbag will return next week. I, there were some people who sent some really, really good uh, questions and comments for the, for the, for the podcast, but um, space-wise, it wouldn't work. So that is going to um, reappear next week. Yeah. At CO Soccer Pod on Twitter, caughtoffsidepod at gmail.com, and caughtoffsideespn at Instagram. There you go, my friend. This was fun. I enjoyed this immensely. Uh, hey, to you, I say... Check you later, phone boy. I'll see you later. Take care, my man. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast.